Hi, everyone. This is Ronnie, and I'm here with Nate Burba from Servios. Nate, how are you doing today? Uh, Ronnie, I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing great. And yeah, I just wanted to, to thank you for coming on our show again. If you know, For, for those out there that are new or, or might not recall, uh, Nate was on our show back over a year ago. I think it was in May of 2017. Uh, he was, you know, on our show talking back then mostly about raw data, a little bit about Sprint Vector, and just in general kind of what Servios was all about. Obviously, I know Servios has been up to a lot, grown, grown a ton since we last spoke. So, yeah, just uh, wanted to check in with you, Nate, just to see how things are going now that Electronauts has been recently released and, and kind of, you know, talk a little bit about that as well as other things that are going on at Servios. Yeah, I mean, well, so as we um, you know, as we record this, uh, Electronauts is going to be released, I think, within the next uh, 12 to 16 hours, something like that. So it's incredibly exciting. I'm on pins and needles right now. <laughs> and uh, that's, um, you know, it's a project that's been a long time coming. It's actually been in development for over two years. And so um, it's something that I, I am the, uh, it's the, the project that I'm the, the project lead on, uh, whereas I was an executive producer on Raw Data and Sprint Vector. So it's something that I personally have been working on uh, a lot. Um, and uh, and really, the company has uh, you know the company has evolved a lot over the last two years. We've uh, we've grown, and uh, subsequently, we have a lot of different projects and things we're working on. Um, we've opened up our own arcade uh, down in Torrance um, uh, here in California, in Los Angeles, and uh, we're looking at expanding, opening up another location uh, because that first location went really well. Um, we have Electronauts coming out. We have Creed that we're working on, which I can mm -hmm. talk more about, mm -hmm. um, and then a number of things coming after that as well. So there's there's a lot of a lot of things that we're working on. Um, we really uh, believe in VR. We have a, a sl slight eye toward toward AR and other future possibilities as well. And um, we're really just excited about uh, you know what the what the future holds. Yeah. And so going off of you know going going off of what you guys are, are up to, one of the things that I've noticed. Uh, about Servios in particular uh, compared to, you know, a lot of the other, you guys are very uh, public facing in terms of the projects that you guys are, are involved with that you're working on. And in terms of like your presence at, at different game shows, like, uh, you know, GDC and E3, you guys had huge presence, uh, presence both, at both of those shows, uh, you were showing off, uh, I believe Creed and Electronauts, uh, you know, at, at both those times, and I know Electronauts in particular, given kind of the the, the music nature and the, the 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 awesome presentation that it's able to put on. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys have showed it off at at quite a bit of, of different like festivals and music, uh, you know, different different concerts and stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah, we've uh, shown it off um, at um, uh, EDC most recently, the Electric Daisy Carnival, which is in Las Vegas. Okay. Uh, I think it's the lar largest. It might be the largest music festival in the world, or it's definitely one of the largest. At I think it's uh, like two hundred thousand people or something oh, like wow. that. And um, so we showed that off in the uh, Carnival Square there, where they had uh, you know a few things you can interact with. And um, we brought it to South by Southwest and uh, NAM, which is one of the biggest music technology uh, trade shows in the world. Um, and uh, the response that we've gotten from it has just been uh, incredible. I mean, it's one of those things where, um, you know, if you give some an, an interaction that by itself is really, really fun that someone can get into in just a few seconds in VR, you immediately get that massive smile on their face and you kind of get them get them hooked right from the get-go. And so I think both Creed and Electronauts have interaction systems that really let you do that. That You get you get in there and it's not, there's not really a learning curve. Um, you kind of know what, know what to expect and then the, the, the incredible amount of quality is very evident right right when you get in the game yeah no i mean I, yeah i got a chance i think when i was at gdc i, I got to to talk with henry Cal calverson i believe his name was and hunter uh, kitagawa they were both people that were working on electronauts and they were both super super excited like you could just just see the excitement dripping off of their faces when they were explaining you know what they were working on and and, and the current build of the game and and talking with you now as as you know the the project lead I, I mean you guys obviously have have a ton of passion about the projects that you're doing and and whether it be electronauts or creed it seems like like all of your passion projects are also different yet all of the teams you know are just full in on all of them. I, I didn't know if you wanted to speak a little bit about what led you guys to create Electronauts and kind of what pushed you down that path for this project. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, I'll bounce off of the, the the passion side of it. Uh, each of our projects are, you know, pretty different, and they're different because they they're made from by, by different people from different teams. And there's kind of a different um, cultural mindset going into each one. And Electronauts is really, really, really different. Um, Electronauts is basically the game that we, you know, when they, when it's like 8 p.m. at the office, or we're having like a, a few drinks on a Friday or something. That's the game we bring out and play, and just kind of hang out, hang out with our friends. And uh, it's really about that kind of relaxed, um, easy jamming kind of party atmosphere in an environment. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely something that I would say is embodied by um, Henry Halverson, our, our lead lead audio designer on, on the project, um, and has been instrumental in in uh, pulling together all the music and, and crafting it into the game and, and just doing a number of different things on the project. Uh, and then Hunter, who's the uh, product marketing manager on it, those two guys um, are really, uh, I would say they embody the kind of ethos of Electronauts uh, pretty well. And then along with a bunch of other people on the team, like it really is um, something where, uh, I don't know the best way to describe it. It's like you, you you feel like a, just a, a music badass and you're able to, um, I don't know, have this, in, these incredible small little moments, kind of like the, uh, you know, if you ever go to like a music festival and you have that, you know, that, that one moment, the kind of the cliched moment at this point where the drop happens and everyone's dancing and everyone's freaking out yeah. and everyone's having a lot of fun. Um, Electronauts, the whole point of it is to kind of get together with your friends and be able to create that moment in a few minutes at your house. Right. And kind of really to try to democratize that, uh, you know, EDM festival experience, but then also democratize, uh, uh playing music. Um, and essentially the, 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 feeling that, you know, musicians, they're so chill all the time because they get to have these moments all the time. Right. Mm. So they're living, they're, they're living a pretty nice life full of these incredible experiences that honestly, most people don't really get to get to experience. They get to experience them kind of, um, you know, uh, secondhand or, or thirdhand, so to speak. Um, but this, you really get to experience it firsthand. And what we found is just the, um, the ability to, to give that experience to someone is a very powerful and incredible thing. It kind of opens up their mind to uh, something that they might have never really done before, which is, like I said, just play an instrument. And because it, it takes so much time and effort to learn how to play an instrument, yeah. that you never get to that kind of euphoric point where you can really jam out. This kind of just like, you know, is like a shortcut to that. And so when we, we first built, um, I can tell you a little bit more about the development of it, uh, sure. if you'd like. Yeah. Um, it also, uh, really it started with, um, it started with me discovering a game called Plink. Um, okay. and Plink, I'm actually going to Google it right now just to kind of refresh my memory. Um, but Plink, it's spelled P L P L I N K by, uh, Dynamo Labs, D I N A. H M O E. Um, and this is just a, a small kind of like, uh, I think like advertising company, um, who made this little toy. Um, I don't know exactly, exactly who made it there. Um, but basically this was a thing that let you play a few different, um, like, like, like a few different notes of a few different kind of like quote unquote instruments, really just like clicking mm -hmm. and holding and dragging your mouse up and down in a browser. Mm -hmm. And you could play a few of these little instruments and you could switch from like, like eight different ones. And it was really simple. There's just a beat going on in the background. And you just, you just play one of these and, uh, basically, um, other people would appear and play alongside you because they were also playing the game through the web browser at the same time. So they had like a server backend that just randomly matched you up with other people. And so inevitably you would start playing these little melodies back and forth with, with other people online who you didn't even know. Um, and it was a really, uh, just very, very compelling experience because you felt like you were playing some music and then you could also jam with people a little bit, mm. uh, but it was incred incredibly limited and it was just a little, little bit of music that was in the games, very, very small, uh, you know, effectively like one song or almost like half a song or something. And so, um, you know, I, I saw that someone uh, introduced this game to me when I was at USC, um, and it always stuck with me. It was always kind of in the back of my head, like, you know, this is, I can hand this to someone and they can just put their finger on the screen and they'll smile, right? Yeah, Immediately yeah. gets that, that reaction. And so, um, you know, I was wondering how could I take the, the concepts there and, and apply them to something. And so as we were, um, developing, uh, raw data and, uh, really this is, um, let's see, I think in early 2016, um, so basically a bit, a bit about the history of the company, we used to develop hardware as well. And we had a number of, um, people on the hardware side, uh, including industrial design designers and electrical engineers. And, um, in particular, we had, uh, you know, two good, good friends of mine, um, uh, Rasik, um, uh, Srinath Ramesh and Umez, uh, uh Lilawala, I always mispronounced his last name. Um, those guys, I, it's going to kill me for saying it like that, <laughs> uh, but, um, but basically, 
Uh, basically, they were working on the hardware side of things, and when we um, essentially uh, pivoted away from doing hardware, we, um, you know, I basically said, hey, you know, find something else you guys want to want to do. So, um, Umez, uh, he got into um, the uh, the UX side of things and is now now UX designer working in, in, in Unreal and Unity and that sort of thing. Okay. Um, and then Rosick, he got into the music and and you know uh, software engineering side side of things. Um, and in particular, uh, uh, Rosick started. Um, uh, Basically, I, I, t- I asked Rasa, "Can you build something that has some similarities to this? That basically, you know, can you build something with a, a quantized instrument in it?" And um, he built a small prototype. Um, we actually ended up using the uh, what is it? Trent Reznor had released the Nine Inch Nails Masters for a remix album. Oh, and, and, and uh, real quick, uh, for those that yeah. might not know, what quant- quantized? Uh, mm-hmm. Do you say quantized instrument? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah if you so could just explain what it is a little bit. Sure. So basically, um, well, the way Plink had it implemented, um, if I recall correctly, is uh, essentially you, you held down your finger on the screen and it would play notes that were in the right time. So you didn't have to time them. So normally when you're playing a real instrument, you're, um, you're you know, tapping on something or you're creating some sort of sound through some sort of interface, uh, you know, banging on a drum or using a piano or what have you. And part of uh, how good you are or not good you are is based on how well you can time your hit mm. with uh, you know, some musical fundamentals, right? Mm. And the most fundamental thing is just creating some rhythm, right? Mm-hmm. Which is hitting, hitting it uh, you know, repeatedly at the, same, at the same speed to create kind of a beat, right? Mm. Um, that's kind of the, the fundamental piece of music. And right there you have something that the vast majority of people are not particularly that good at, mm. right, um, is keeping a beat. And, and so right there there's already a barrier, a barrier to entry, uh, you know, for, for music. And so basically um, – uh, basically, uh, what Plank did is you could hold down your finger and it would do the beat for you essentially. And then you could run your finger up and down and that would create uh, different notes um, that essentially would create a melody. So, um, you know, the fact that it was quantized meant that um, it, there's a delay between when you t- tap the screen and when the sound actually happens. But because in Plank you would just hold it down, mm. um, it didn't really matter. You weren't really playing notes. You were just turning a track on and off really. Sure. Uh, and so, but we really like that concept. And so, uh, we built actually at first we built a non VR prototype um, for this. It was really just something you held a game controller with, and you would um, basically play around with it. You'd press some of the buttons to, to hit notes, or you would hold down. Originally, I think you held down the right trigger and, and hit the left stick up and down, and that would basically play, you know, a set of notes kind of on or off. Um, and basically. Uh, we made we what uh, we were able to get really nice sounds. Um, Rosick is also a music producer himself, mm. but uh, so he was able to synthesize sounds, and he's also able to bring stuff in from some uh, masters of albums that we kind of had laying around. One of them was the Ghost album by Trent Reznor, Nine Inch Nails, uh, because he had um, released that um, uh, for free to people to mess around with, because he wanted people to make a remix album, mm. which they subsequently did. Um, but we were able to use masters just for kind of prototyping purposes, and we basically made this little prototype. I think we that and we use like a bc boys master we found or something okay um, and we had uh, actually you could play it with, with two, two game controllers and it was it was really fun it was just fun just to mess around playing music with just these these little prototype songs and um and we had some people at the office uh spencer kitagawa in particular is hunter hunter's brother um was incredibly good at it because spencer's also a music producer but he's uh just really good both spencer and hunter are really really adept at like musical toys so to mm. speak mm. and so this is when we kind of really started playing around with toys we started playing around with with that we we're playing around with like some of the Korg toys um, and Korg apps that they have. Um, we, this is where I also learned what an arpeggiator was, um, which is basically a repeated set of notes that you can um, kind of play in different um, in, in different keys. Hmm. And then they, and if you uh, quantize them properly, you kind of can't screw up. So this is where we kind of got the idea of a musical toy that you kind of you know that's effectively idiot proof that you kind of can't <laughs> can't mess up. Yeah. Um, and so. Um, well, we said uh, – you know, we, we built this little prototype. We said, oh, man, this is this might, might be kind of cool in VR. And so we built kind of a really basic interface, a basic kind of drum interface and um, started uh, aligning these 
quantized notes you know, onto these drums. And what we found is that there was, um, you know, VR is generally more immersive. And then there was also a synergy with your body movement. It felt better to move your body and kind of, it's easier to keep a beat when you're standing. Mm. Um, it's, it's easier to kind of simulate hitting the notes when you're swinging this, this, the um, controllers versus when you're on a controller. And so everything just kind of lined up synergistically for uh, that experience to be really, really fun. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, things kind of came together there. Problem is we, we, we knew it wasn't a game, but, you know, it was just a fun toy. Yeah. And so, um, you know, for a while there, we were racking our brain, how do we make this into, into a game? And uh, ended up going down some wrong, some wrong paths. Um, some of them, actually, there's one that even had some similarities to Beat Saber. Um, hmm. So we, we kind of were trying out these, these different things. We had a highway at one point. Yeah, because we're looking at Guitar Hero with some of the other games like that. Yeah. And eventually what we landed on was we'll take this basic interface of playing some notes and we'll start adding more and more things to it. Um, we'll start adding, um, you know, um, basically some other instruments you can play, uh, grenades, um, the loopers, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. vocal tools, different tracks, kind of all these other things that make up different parts of a song. Mm -hmm. We'll keep adding those into it. And what we, what we came to was really kind of this like format for interactive music that if we're able to squish and bend a song kind of into this format, you can now have these interfaces to be able to control any piece of it. And when you're in there, you feel partially like a DJ and you feel partially like a guitarist or something, mm. um, playing notes live. And, uh, I don't know. Have you gotten a chance to, yeah, I've, I've had a chance to check it out like quite a few times actually. So I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm following you a hundred percent as far as like, and I, and I understand what you're saying about the DJ kind of guitarist kind of mix. Cause yeah, a lot of times like you're, you're kind of dividing your time between like managing different different uh things that are looping in the songs versus actually playing specific notes and so exactly for, for yeah, people so it, out there that haven't tried it exactly and so it, it it makes you feel like you're that performance artist and it creates that kind of tension of what am i going to do next like for example i'll play some notes and i might hit a wrong note and then i'll i'll, I'll take that wrong note and, and make it part of the melody that I was creating all mm -hmm. along. Mm -hmm. And actually now it was like a right note. It's, it's a really interesting process. Um, but just back to a little bit about the story of the development of it. So as we, we saw that there was some potential with this, we had our first internship program, um, you know, that I, I led that summer of uh, bringing on interns. Uh, Henry was an intern, um, along with, uh, Ed Tucker, who's done a number of things on the project. And this was uh, in 2016 uh, again. I just want to 2016. Make sure. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. One of the, the, the core artists on the project, Lauren, Lauren Lehman, she, um, uh, was also an intern as well as Christina Orcutt, who did some work as well. So that, that intern class helped build out the, the team that started doing a little bit of work on that project. Um, and then, um, you know, I saw, uh, in particular the, the people on the project who had experience with music production, Henry, Ed, Rosick, um, they had the right, um, kind of, hello. Uh, yeah, you just, you cut out for just a moment. Can you, Oh yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, that's you're, Skype. Uh, okay, you're back. You're uh, back. Yeah. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you perfectly. So, so yeah, you had just okay. said that that Henry oh, Rossick, yeah. some of the others had the music experience, and then. Yeah. So basically, this is an interesting um, aspect of the project. Basically. Uh, you know, I, I realized that people with experience creating music or experience with the music festival scene, like like Umez, they had um, you know they kind of had the right stuff, so to speak, for the project. They had, they had the right cultural background um, mm. to kind of imbue the project with a you know a cultural sense that made it very unique. Mm. And so, as a requirement for the project, I made sure to um, to basically recruit people onto the team who um, you know had that same kind of sense. Mm. Uh, and so uh, Zach, who's the project's producer. Once again, very big into the music festival scene. Lots of experience. Lots of experience with a lot of electronic DJs. Uh, Jonathan Radcliffe uh, very much has uh, experience and is a fan with a number of music games. I know we um, uh, kind of uh, bonded over um, Electroplankton and and some of the other awesome. projects like like that. So it's kind of you have to have a, enough of that knowledge because this is a very specific kind of genre. It's not mm -hmm. just not every uh, game developer is going. This is not every game developer's cup of tea, so to speak. Mm. Um, you have to have people who uh, are are, in, are into this sort of project and kind of understand the merits of it and, and, and know um, what it's trying to kind of represent. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we were able to get, you know, to build up enough of a team uh, that was that was able to really um, really do that. And then from there, it was about 
building out that interface, building out the visualizer system, uh, refining all the technology, build, really building out the music reality engine, which I can talk about as well, mm-hmm. um, and really making something that was very precise and very just immersive and then filling it full of as much incredible music as we, as we possibly could get in, um, which is its own fascinating process. Um, you know, this is the first time in a game that this, this much music has been licensed, um, with all of the masters and all, all of the actual stems from the songs, the wow. individual elements, which most artists are, they, they don't want to give up or some of them they don't even have anymore or the rights to, um, we're actually able to acquire those, which allow us to really pick apart the song. So it's very much revolutionary from that standpoint even like a rock band or something they're not really getting the individual elements they're usually just getting like three tracks or something like that yeah 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 talk about that a little bit because i'm i mean yeah some just when you were talking the three things that kind of like triggered things in my head you mentioned music reality project then you then you mentioned uh license the licensed music aspect of it which sounds really interesting and then also just um, talking about kind of uh, the live events that you guys did. So, because it, it sounds like some of the talent that you guys were able to bring to your team that specifically understood the culture of the music, I, I would imagine that led to some of the some of the events that you guys ended up participating in. But yeah, um, I mean, so um, I'll, I'll talk about a few things. So uh, the music reality engine is pretty interesting. Um, that's uh, a lot of that starts. Uh, it starts with Rosick and him being an electrical engineer. Um, he really wanted to build out something using pure data, which is a low-level audio programming uh, language. Um, it's a visual scripting language. Um, I remember when I took the only audio, the only audio for games class I ever took was um, at USC, uh, taught by a guy named uh, Vin, uh, is, uh, Vincent Diamante, mm. and Vincent is the audio i believe he's the audio director over at that game company um and it was a really fascinating class where he uh delved into you know the the art and the craft that is is music and sound for games and we you know we um for example like pure data lets you build like we rebuilt the sound effects that are used in super mario brothers from the ground up using um you know oscillators and basically everything that you would use That's all really the little elements that you would use at the lowest possible level at the electronics level hmm. um as, so you kind of to give you that initial kind of understanding but what pure data allows us to do is, is to recreate uh everything from scratch to create full samplers to um you know create a synthesizer uh, purely on the uh, um, uh, on the software side. And so that's really where the project started. And it started, uh, you know, with Rossek's knowledge of that. And then it's, we started kind of building onto that and building onto that. And now we have a whole multifaceted engine that lets us do a number of different things all at once. That's very well optimized. Um, thanks to the, the work of both Rossek and Cameron, uh, another one, one of our engineers and a number of other people. And with the engine is also fully isolated from unity as well. So we could take that engine and bring it over. To, uh, we could hook it up to unreal and run things that that way you could use that engine for live performance kind of by itself hmm. you could hook it up to hardware um so it's kind of uh it's its own technology that we have that and we're what, very happy, happy with now what are some of the advantages of using it at that lower like being able to create the music from that lower level um versus i guess traditional ways of reproducing music in, in games i'm just kind of curious uh, yeah i mean basically we have um a very large amount of control um and so we're able to uh you know, not only um, create something like a synthesizer, but we can do a lot of complex audio processing. Mm. Um, and because, uh, like, we have to uh, f- take all of these, all of these songs to different. Uh, right. And we have to mix them all relative to each other. Mm. But we're not just mixing a final a song or a record or a bounce, right? We're, we're mixing all of the individual elements with each other as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then there's uh, a lot of very low level, uh, timing, um, and, and little, little tiny details with the, um, with the, the mixed reality engine itself in terms of making a quantized note feel good mm-hmm. in terms of how much it's, it's delayed versus kind of when you've hit it. Um, so all getting into all of those details and being able to test them outside of the game engine because really they, they have nothing to do with the game engine the game engine is an interface into them and you show the um the kind of visual feedback but at the end of the day you can actually prototype all of those things in the music reality engine itself and in fact we would we what we do is we build tracks and um, instruments you can play with in ableton first um and then some of the other uh, audio uh, um uh, what is it? Uh, the, the the DAWs, digital audio workstations, will build um, build that out in in there. Kind of play around with 
changes, jam on it. Um, and usually we call people over and be like, hey, check this out. Start, you know, jam away, see, see if it's fun. And then we bring it into the music reality engine, uh, test it, get everything working there, optimize it properly. And then we, we bring the Unity side of it and actually have it working in Unity. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it's kind of a multi-layered approach, but that allows us also because we are we mostly do Unreal development here. Okay. It does allow us to then reuse it uh, potentially in Unreal. So so what is it like? I, yeah, kind of transitioning from from the music reality engine over to licensed music. You know the the music that you guys were able to get, and then also getting the assets that would work properly with the music reality engine. Like how did how did that all work out? Yeah. So basically, um, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting going through the, the music licensing process. We, um, you know, I would, I would say that we're very good at this, at this company at presenting ourselves to people. If someone comes into the office, meets a lot of the staff, plays a lot of our products, um, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's something that other people really want to be part of. We have something really, really special here. We have something very special culturally here. Mm-hmm. And so, um, what that means is that we just have the ability to do, Things that some other studios can't. Um, being in Los Angeles helps as well. Um, so basically, uh, you know, we're able to get uh, record producers uh, to come into the office, show them the things that we're working on, show them a small prototype, and then uh, you know work our way toward getting a deal to actually license stems and music from them. And it was a difficult process. We had to kind of work our way up, up from the bottom, and kind of build our way up to larger and larger artists. Um, luckily, uh, a number of people on the team have. Connections to a number of artists. Uh, Roger Zhao has been um, been the person who's uh, managing all of our artist uh, relationships, and it's it's a combination of the, the things that we've been able to do with the company, but also there's uh, basically everyone in the music industry, and uh, honestly, a lot of people across the world uh, in, in all sorts of industries really want to get into virtual reality, mm-hmm. and the creative industries in particular want to. Um, and uh, so you have a lot of musicians out there uh, who want to get into virtual reality. Only a handful of them know kind of what they should be doing in virtual reality or have kind of like a, a vision for what to do. Cause it's virtual reality is very difficult. You know, mm-hmm. to, they're not game developers, not filmmakers, they're musicians. Yeah. Um, and you know, a lot of them, you know, they have filmmakers, they have, um, people they work with on music videos and they do a lot of things that way. But VR is still kind of a bit obtuse relative to what you would normally do if you're shooting a music video. Yeah. Uh, Cause it's, it's interactive, right? So it's like, how do you get your handle or, or your head around, making something interactive relative to kind of what their brand is and what their music is. Mm-hmm. And a few, uh, a few people out there, um, I'm, uh, uh blanking on, on some of the names. Oh, well, like Will I am is a good example. Um, uh, he has, uh, you know, a whole, uh, interactive, uh, interactive, um, project that he's worked on that's, mm-hmm. that's critically acclaimed and, you know, a handful of them Bjork as well. Like a handful of them have really figured it out and kind of knocked it out of the park and done really cool things, but mm-hmm. it's not, it's not, an easy thing where anyone can do it. You have to find partners and game developers and engineers who really know what they're doing. Yep. Um, which I mean, uh, you know, I, I can attest to is an incredibly difficult thing to do. Um, so, uh, because of that, we're basically giving them the, the opportunity to, you know, uh, do something innovative in VR and all they really have to do is send us their stems. Mm. And a lot of the stems for these songs are kind of, you know, they've been sitting around for a while. The song has come out, you know, multiple years ago and it did fairly, fairly well or or what have you, but the stems are not really being monetized in any way. So Mm. this gives them an opportunity to essentially take those stems and re-monetize them. And, uh, then we basically, and what is the, what does what the stem comprise of? Because as someone that's, you know, kind of outside of music, I would imagine it's kind of the back it's like a portion of the song or what 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 parts of the songs are you guys looking for I mean, I, ideally, it's every element of the song. So if okay. you hear a, if you hear a kick drum, that kick drum by itself would be on one track. Got it. Um, and so you could isolate it down to just that do 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 just that that kick drum by itself. And then uh, essentially, uh, you know, every element of the track, ideally from the vocals to the hi hat to everything, is all on isolated. different individual yeah, isolated tracks. Okay. Um, and then you know, so usually let's say there's like 20 of those tracks. If they give us an Ableton project with all those tracks, or they literally give us 20 wave files, right? Yeah. Um, essentially, you know, those are the individual pieces. Got and it. then um, what we do is 
cut them up and, 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 and basically put them into the music reality engine format, we then sometimes have to um, add uh, add maybe an extra playable instrument or something on top of it. And it's actually kind of funny. A few of the artists we've worked with, we have actually added a few elements to their song and we'll, we'll, we'll then send the elements back to them and be like, hey, here you go. We made these for your song. And they're like, wow, these are really good. Like maybe, you know, like they're actually you know improving the song in some in one or two cases. Sure. Or kind of like adding some extra flavor to it that because it's a slightly different experience. You know, when you listen to a song, it's all about the um, the actual arrangement itself mm-hmm. and the progression of that. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, this is more like um, it's less about that and it's more about the individual elements being enough to really have that kind of sonic pr- playground, so to speak, where you're really able to play around with enough things mm-hmm. and compose a song live on the fly, uh, mm-hmm. you know, yourself. That's pre- that's pretty good. Um, so basically, uh, yeah, those individual elements are really important. But, it, you know, it, it, it can be a difficult thing for artists to do because they, um, you know, a lot of artists are, and you can read stories about this, but, you know, they, they're really specific about their sound and yeah. they don't want... Uh, anyone to figure out you know it's like it's like giving someone the, the uh it's like asking mcdonald's what their secret sauce is and they mm-hmm. tell you it's like well it's one cup of salt and it's like they're not going to do that right yeah um we need to break those elements apart so we can give control to the user so that they can have a great experience but there's some artists out there who are not going to want to um give you those elements because it might reveal how some of them were produced hmm. um or or you know, how they're able to generate a sound that other people are not able to generate. So it's, mm. you have to have artists who are very forward thinking, who want to try something new. Yeah. And ultimately those, in my experience, those are the artists who really get ahead or the ones who really, really want to innovate. And, um, you know, I, I think music is changing. I think music is changing from, you know, uh, a four minute MP3 that you download. Right. Um, I think it's, um, it's evolving into something that's pretty different, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we're excited to uh, to to be a company who's uh, you know pushing that forward. Yeah, uh, kind of curious about I guess maybe were th- were there any limitations in terms of like what you were able to do with some of the stems as far as like mixing different different assets from different artists together? Like I I don't know I I haven't checked like all of the final arrangements in the game yet. Like I I remember when I played it at GDC and E3, there were different levels. And within each one of those, there were uh, like, is each level a different song or are you able to combine elements from multiple artists and songs together? And, and was that process kind of difficult to sell to some of the artists if, if that's the case or what was some of that like? So this is definitely not a game where we're remixing from like song one to song two, which makes okay. it pretty different than a normal kind of uh, DJ experience. I mean, many things make it different, but in particular, this is you know one kind of individual song that you're able to play inside of, and then you're able to transition to another song, whichever song song you choose. Okay. Um, so it's a little bit more like a DDR or a rock band from that standpoint. Okay. Um, but we have we actually um, have a built-in transitioning system uh, that that allows you to have a smooth transition from one to the other but it really is more about having the ideal experience of that song because if we had if we were mixing the songs together you know once again it it might get fairly difficult and fairly complex you basically have this combinatorial explosion of of possibilities of different tempos and um, keys and all of these kinds of things Okay, one of the things that before kind of I wanted to talk about the live events and kind of the the performance aspect of the game, but before we get into that, I was kind of curious if you could talk a little bit about what it was like balancing the quantization the quantization that you mentioned of actually getting, you know, the music to sound good with the interactivity and making sure that the player felt like they were, you know, in control of kind of what they were creating. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. there's some people, like, and and at least the times I've played it, like, sometimes I feel like certain songs, I'm really getting the, the hang, like, like, in general, everything sounds pretty good, but sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm, get, I'm doing better than other times, right? I, I'm kind of mm-hmm. curious as to, like, what you guys determined was the proper balance of that to make players feel like they were having fun, but also make the music good. Yeah, I mean that's a great question. Um, well, first off, I'll say that there's uh, part of the, the the secret inner workings of of this thing, kind of kind of how it works, is that there's uh, there's a relationship between the BPM of a song and the expected latency of a quantized note, okay. and so different 
BPMs will essentially um, make that quantization uh, typically larger or smaller. Okay. And so there's a sweet spot BPM. I forget exactly what it is, but probably something around like 90 or 95, um, or maybe it's like 100. Uh, but basically, there's 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 a you know sweet spot, and then there's like a sour spot, I guess you could say, <laughs> of you know best to worst type of thing. And I think like the sour spot might be like 120 or 130, and this or maybe it's like 135, and the sweet spot's like 100 or something like that. Okay. But basically. The closer you get to that sweet spot, the better notes will feel. And then it's also it also has to do with the um, uh, ADSR uh, attack uh, attack decay sustain release, uh, basically the curve of the sound. Okay. Um, and uh, the attack is the first part, and uh, basically, or sorry, attack sustain decay release. A ASDR. I always forget. Uh, but basically, um, the attack is just how quickly the sound comes in, um, and usually a fast attack is something. Uh, what we found is like fast attack, and then kind of like a long, a long release or like a delayed release is usually something that works out pretty well. Hmm. And in particular, because you're trying to, you know, you're when you hit that orb, and then there's a slight delay, mm -hmm. and the note you hear the note. Um, you you know it's already a delay, right? So any extra delay in the attack will will, will then line up more so with the the, the delay that's already there. So you hmm. want to you want to get as much of that as possible. So a quick attack is really good. Hmm. And basically, um, you know what we found is that there's uh, you know if you can get the perceived when well, perceived if if the actual latency when I say latency I mean the moment that you hit an orb, which mm -hmm. by the way I'll, I'll say real quick is. When you hit an orb in the game or you know some an interface in the game, it's already delayed because you have the natural latency of the head-mounted display in that system. Mm. So what's funny is that your motion to photon has a delay of maybe 10 to 20 milliseconds, but that's within the threshold of like let's say 30 milliseconds for your brain to. Say, uh, I don't want to go too much into like the neuroscience of it, sure. but you're you're um, well shit. I'll, I'll go in it. Um, let's, <laughs> let's do it. So why not? Uh, you, you basically have two brains, left and right, and, and they communicate with each other through the, the corpus callosum in the middle. And the, your brains are constantly kind of having a conversation with each other about what just happened. Um, and when something happens that through your sensory input connects to one of your hemispheres of your brain and that, that brain says, um, hey, this occurred – it tells the other one, and the other one goes, "Oh, I'll take your word for it." Um, and hmm. it, you know, it looks like you know, it looks like that's true. So um, you know, there's kind of there's usually not too much dissonance, but sometimes there is a little bit of dissonance between them. And so there's a bit of wiggle room in your perception, hmm. um, where if something is lower than like 30 milliseconds of latency, your brain kind of goes, it goes, "Hey, did that happen in real time?" Yeah, sure. Why not? Sounds like it did because mm. it's used to doing the "Hey, sure, why not?" Uh, because of the corpus callosum. So it's kind mm. of like a, um, it's like a little, a little like window in your perception. Sure, a little, a little, that you can sneak through. And so that's how the head-mounted displays themselves work. Um, huh. That that's why we're able to do this in the first place. And you you kind of buy it right under a certain threshold. It's not zero, right? But it's under yeah. a certain threshold. And so what we do with Electronauts is we get into that threshold. And really, we do this in everything, right? You fire a gun and raw data. It goes off within the threshold because uh, the, the game needs to still process, right? The mm -hmm. game usually will have a, a frame of latency processing the, the press of the trigger to the gun firing, right? Mm -hmm. So that is still under the threshold and your brain still goes, oh, that happened in real time. Mm -hmm. uh, similar, this is similar to how the quantization works where you press, um, you know, you, you hit an orb and, uh, you know, instead of happening in that exact frame, it needs to wait a little bit, but just not wait too long. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a frame or two, it needs to be under that 30 millisecond threshold and then it, it, it can play. What's lucky for us though, is that the motion to photon already has a delay mm -hmm. and then so we, we're just um, stacking the delay on top of that, and, and your brain will compare it to when the orb itself moves. And if that's under 30 milliseconds to when you hear it, um, then it, it should be fine. Mm. And, and luckily, there's you know the delay of just naturally hitting something and hearing it in, in reality. So it, mm -hmm. it, it kind of – when we get it engineered well enough, the delay is low enough where you go, OK, I think I made that noise. Um, and so that must have been me, and that's where you get that euphoric feeling of – Wow, I'm I'm like a, a really good musician. So uh, so so I guess to to piggyback that. So let's say like I'm just like so I understand like the time delay portion that you're talking about. Let's say I'm just really really bad at music. Like I just have no rhythm whatsoever and I would have been hitting that orb like at the absolute wrong time every time. Like what is what are you guys like how are you guys able to take that really bad 
rhythm player and make them sound good within like the time frame? Like I, I'm just kind of curious how it works. Well, so there's you know there's a minimum time. Excuse me. There's a minimum time and a maximum time when it comes to the the amount that's being quantized and. The BPM has to be high enough. Um, this is actually why you don't see, you know, a lot of um, like acoustic guitar rock songs or like really low tempo, uh, you know, um, songs in the game. Because when okay. the tempo is low enough, um, or certain instruments, right? Like if I have a low tempo song with like a slow attack guitar sound, okay. um, and and I and I hit an interface, and you're, you know, a ter- terrible musician, musician, right? Yeah. That, effective quantization of that could be up to like 80 milliseconds or something. I see. Okay. And, now, and, and so yeah. that's not going to feel good. Right. So it's, it's about designing, you know, you're kind of designing the song with an understanding of, uh, the, the interface and how it works. So ultimately not all music is going to go perfectly into electronauts. Got and then it. also we have to kind of simplify, uh, the song structure as well. So every song is in is in four four time. Uh, there's 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 four bars per per loop, as we say. We call call four bars a loop. Um, and basically, you know, there's three sets of vocals that you can do. And there's uh, you know I think like sixteen bar sixteen bar vocals. And there's three of them each, so you can have a total of forty eight bars of vocals, and then that's it because we just that's all we could fit in the game, right? Like mm. we, we basically have a very a similar structure for everyone. Each one has five grenades. So if there weren't enough, um, what we call one shot sound effects in the song as we received it, we would add add two more that we think work, you know, aesthetically well in the game. So um, it's basically because you have that s- similar interface for every song. Uh, like like basically w- when you have when you're a musician and you're like, hey, can you guys play this song? They go, oh sure, what key? Right. They, they ask you what, what the key is or if they don't mm. know what the song is, they might ask about the tempo or something. Mm. Um, so we basically take away that kind of introductory information that you're going to like need to know about a song. And you're all you're doing is just reusing the same interfaces over again mm-hmm. at a, a different tempo with different sounds, effectively representing a different song. Got it. OK. No, that's that's really interesting. So thanks for that. Um, yeah. I guess now moving over to. Uh, so you had mentioned kind of what you guys had to do in order to take these systems and make it into a game. I know, I know part of that was adding more and more different interfaces, more and more different types of like instruments, quote unquote, within the game. Um, another thing that I just noticed when I've been able to play it is just how much of an emphasis there seems to be on kind of the presentation aspect. And I, I know you're able to do multiplayer within the game and maybe talk a little bit about uh, about some of those systems and, and, and how you guys like push the, the game development side of it, like the actual game system side. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, so on the multiplayer side, this is definitely a, you know, I I don't want to toot my own horn too much, but, uh, you know, it is a revolutionary project. It is the first time that I know of that, uh, you can really, and it kind of like a full bodied game because you could technically do it in Plink, but the first time where you really can take, you know, well-known songs and jam to them with another person anywhere in the world. Right. So some, someone is, you know, in Siberia, you can get together and jam together. Mm-hmm. And normally that's, that hasn't been possible because of, um, because of latency, right? Because you normally have to time yourself well with them. That's why it's hard to, it's hard to jam with anybody on the internet because of the, the natural amount of latency. Mm-hmm. Video games have essentially, video games trick us into thinking that two subjective realities are the same reality, uh, by their kind of like latency tricks that they do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes like when you, you feel like you got shot in call of duty and you didn't, and you didn't go around the corner, but, but, but the other person did did see you go around the corner, right? Mm-hmm. There's little inconsistencies. Mm-hmm. That's kind of that subjective reality thing coming into play. Mm-hmm. Um, what's great about this project is that the quantization um, trick that we do allows us to get uh, around that subjective reality mm-hmm. as well. So what the other player is hearing 100 milliseconds late is a slightly different melody than what you're playing and you're hearing in real time. But it's probably good enough that they're going to be able to jam with you a little bit and not you're not neither of you are really going to notice that much. Mm. Uh, and so inevitably you can then jam together and playing it multiplayer is just an absolute blast. I mean, you know, sometimes you'll play like call and response or you'll get someone. One person will be kind of the mixer and one person will be kind of like the jammer, so to speak. Um <laughs> And it's uh, it's a really 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 fun time, um, and uh, you know we used all, a lot of the standard multiplayer uh, technologies that are out there. Um, we used uh, we used Photon Bolt, um, which is uh, you know 
really, really, um, a really solid middleware that's available in Unity. Mm. Um, and um, we uh, basically, you know, from a multiplayer technology standpoint, it's not super innovative um, from that. It's more getting this musical system into that and allowing people to use that together is really where it's Oh, are you there? Yeah, yeah. Okay, it cut out for just a second. Okay, yeah, no, and 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 as far as I guess like uh, leading off of that, like, how do you guys see like, I mean, part of the fun of not like it's amazing playing the game, of course, but it's also fun just being able to hear what people are making within the game and see them kind of performing as a DJ or like like you really see like the the amount of energy and excitement that goes into actually playing the game when you watch one of your friends, like, for example, just, like, jamming out with somebody else, like, you know, on stage or wherever the case may be. Like, do you see a lot of people kind of, you know, playing this at parties, kind of in the background? Or, like, what have, what are some of your experiences with how the game is showed when, when like, when, when Servios is playing around with it at some of their events? I mean, this is this is uh, <clears throat> this is definitely the game that I would have liked to have had in college. Mm. Um, and we had we had Rock Band and we had Guitar Hero, and they were really fun. They were kind of like the dorm room games that you would play usually before a party or maybe like as a party was winding down or something. Um, but this is a game that you could play legitimately to DJ a party with. Okay. Um, and as we come out with more music um, and it gets kind of more variable, and people really learn how to harness the game fully. Um, you know, I see this as something that people can, uh, you know, can DJ a party to, um, and, uh, and, and basically it allows someone who never thought they would have the ability to really DJ. Um, it actually allows them to really do that. So it's, it's something that, you know, for me personally, as someone who's never played an instrument and is kind of terrified by traditional DJ, uh, interfaces, mm -hmm. this is the thing that I've just personally always wanted. As far as, uh, you, you briefly mentioned there something about, um, like, adding more music to the game. I don't know if you guys have kind of ironed out all those details yet or, or if you know exactly how you would, you're going to go about adding songs to the game, but like, what are some of your plans on, on there? If you've, if you guys have, you know, ironed those out yet. Well, so we have a lot more music that we've licensed that is not in the game that cause it takes us a while to not only license the music, get it all together, test it, but then get it um, mixed into the game properly. Like it is, it, it's a whole whole process there. Mm. Um, so we have a lot more music that we'll be adding, um, and then uh, you know there is um, we have been thinking about mod support, um, okay. basically the the ability for fans to um, uh, essentially add their own music to the game. If mm -hmm. they have stems or sounds or, you know, they're, they're getting stems from splice or a number of the other kind of, um, uh, you know, sound libraries and music libraries that are out there. Okay. Um, we were interested in the possibility of making it open. Um, it, it would probably be for PC only if we did it. Okay. Um, because PlayStation VR, I, I don't know the, the technical process of making a moddable game. I don't think sure. modding is just much more, much harder on a console, but, um, mod support is something that if there's enough interest in it, um, we, we're going to see if we can price out how much it would take from an engineering standpoint, how much it would cost. Um, but that's a way to, uh, you know, be able to take any sets of music or to make remixes or, um, you know, you could do, uh, like for example, you could even take MP3s that you have and convert them to wave files and put, you know, a bunch of different songs on individual tracks in the game, and then just use it as a, as a, as a track switcher or something. I and mean, there's all sorts of things you hmm. could use it, use it for. So we're, we're looking into what the kind of like long-term life of the game could be from a modability standpoint. Okay. Um, but that's, it, it's a whole, yeah. it, it's a whole technical pro problem that we have to solve to be able to do that. Okay. Cause I was going to say like some of what you talked about before with the music reality engine and all that, like, I don't know if, if you would have to be able to tweak some of those, like adding in songs or like, like as far as how the, the engine worked with different samples or does it, is it, would it just feed it, feed in and work? It has some flexibility, um, but it's uh, some of the flexibility has to be built into it. So, for okay. example, um, you know, you can basically put, you can set any tempo in it right now. For example, okay. um, but everything everything has to be four four structure, right? The, okay. the four four structure is not like that's really not going anywhere. That's that's I would say that is a limitation, okay. right? Um, so, but it works really well with. Um, you know, I guess what Rossick would say is beat-based music. Um, so <laughs> it, it works well with EDM. It works well with hip-hop. Um, you know, it's not going to work well with, like, 
jazz. Uh, you know, it'll like certain rock songs will work. Like I, I could put like I love to put like Eminence Front by the Who in it because mm. that song is a consistent. You know, it's not a typical Who song. It's 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 very much a song that yeah, is more of an Electronaut song, right? It would work really really well in this. But then your other who songs that they the you know uh, classic songs they do they wouldn't work as well so you have to kind of pick and choose your battles so to speak okay and yeah you you said you said at the beginning of the interview that you guys are are hoping to to release that in in the next within the next 24 hours i know you said like 16 hours or something like that um what are some of the the last minute kinds of things that you guys have to worry about uh counting down to that that final hour um, well, you know, we have day one, a day one patch that we have to make sure it gets, uh, accepted by Sony and gets mm. into, uh, you know, uh, valve and Oculus. So it's really just working with the platform partners to line up everything. Um, okay. obviously there's, there's, there's things like in the press, things like this podcast that you're listening to is, uh, <laughs> you know, th- things that I'll, I- I'm doing. Um, and, uh, you know, we have materials for all the artists that we're working with them on, and you know, so there, there's the, the really the there, there's two sides of it are just making sure that the, the 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 game build is, you know, the best possible build that we can get out for customers, and then the other aspect of it is just to make sure we market everything as well as we can and amplify our signal as much as possible. Okay, and is this the first game that you guys have released across all of the platforms at once, or because I'm trying to remember if Raw Data or Sprint Vector, if if those. If those launched like on on PlayStation VR, like I don't think they did, right? Like not at least not co- yeah concurrently. This is many firsts for us. This is the first game that we're releasing in Unity. It's the first game we're releasing on all the major platforms all at the same time, like you mentioned. First game that we're releasing on Mac. Um, so okay, this is wow. compatible with Mac on HTC Vive. So, um, yeah, this is very much, uh, you know, a uh, very uh, kind of experimental thing. So we have a bunch of people, just like myself, you know, on pins and needles going, oh, my God, is, is it going to break? Are there going to be lots of bugs? Like, what's going to happen? It's kind of uh, a big unknown. But so far, through all the people that we've sent early keys to yeah um, everything has gone gone very well that's awesome no congratulations and and yeah like i we kind of alluded to at the beginning i mean you guys really have been kind of with every project it seems like you guys are getting more and more ambitious in terms of you know what and now with music licensing you 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 licensed uh like a a movie property with creed and like each of these different games are tackling major, you know, kind of problems within VR that need to be solved by someone. And it looks like you guys aren't shy to kind of, you know, take on some of those hard problems like like locomotion and sprint vector and all, all kinds of things. So, uh, yeah, keep up keep yeah. up the awesome work. And just in terms of like where you guys kind of, I, you know, as as an enthusiast that's really into VR and, you know, wants to get more and more people excited about it. Uh, you know, what are what are some things that are on your mind as far as what what makes you excited about continuing to work in the VR industry? Well, I think that the two most important things are making the um, the most important thing really is moving barriers to entry for anyone. And at home, that means getting those devices to get cheaper and making them easier to um, easier to use. So I'm very excited about what Oculus and Valve and some of the other companies are doing with uh, simplifying the interface for the VR headset. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of you know you have a laptop and you take one cable and you plug the headset into that mm-hmm. and now it works or you, you or the oculus santa cruz right mm-hmm. and the idea of a standalone vr system that you know i hate to say it this way but doesn't suck right that actually yeah. has <laughs> six degree of freedom controllers and has a, a decent amount of video rendering capability right and, and decent battery life it's which is very hard i mean i say it doesn't suck you know in, in a tongue-in-cheek way but these are incredibly difficult complex technical challenges to solve so mm-hmm. that's why a lot of the things you know um might be like that uh, but you know from from a home user standpoint Getting those things ready like is very very exciting and make making you know wider field of view making the experience generally better, um, and then from the non home side of it, making it easier for people to go into virtual reality arcades um, and play our titles is very very important to us as well and we're pushing on that front. Yeah, no, I haven't had a chance to actually check out the the location, but like the arcade that you guys opened up, but I've definitely heard you know great things about that and I mean yeah, but you you talked about expanding. Uh, what what kind of plans the Servios have in terms of like are you just looking to open more within California or are you looking to expand further? Here, give me one second. I'm gonna let my dog in. Sure. Um, and then, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good time to. Here yeah. Wait, one 
sorry about that. Oh, um, no problem. Okay, so uh, yeah, I mean, um, so we're looking to uh, you know, we're, let me start this over. We're definitely looking to uh, to expand. Um, our first location that we have at the Del Amo Fashion Center in Torrance has gone really well. If anybody doesn't know about the Del Amo Fashion Center, it's actually the um, mall that was in Jackie Brown, uh, mm. the Quentin Tarantino movie. Very cool. Where, like half the movie takes place in it. So <laughs> yeah. that was before it got got renovated, but it's still basically the same mall. So um, so the, the the arcade that we have down there has gone very well. Um, I like to say that that's probably the smallest arcade we'll ever open. <laughs> it's like 2,500 square feet, um, but we're definitely going to be opening larger arcades and uh you know really we're looking just like with everything um as you've kind of mentioned we we want to be incredibly ambitious you know we're not just looking to commoditize this sort of thing and keep it keep uh keep where it currently is Mm. um we want to be able to to innovate and um create uh wholly new experiences so uh, we're um looking to see how we can develop our arcade into something that is incredibly unique and can stand on its own relative to not only other arcades but really any other place that you'd want to go any other destination we want to create something that is a fi- can be a fixture of the of the community that it's uh that it's brought to okay and, and long term do you see i guess where do you see like home consumer vr versus location-based vr kind of you know, diverging as far as like what experiences you're able to do at a location-based arcade. Like, are you, um, well, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, uh, free roam VR, you know, seems to be like really free roam VR and room scale VR seem to have more of a fit for locations Okay. and kind of stand up, stand up VR quote unquote mm. seems to have more of a fit for the, the at home use okay. um, because it's, uh, you know, one of them requires, there's like a synergy between the, the, the experience design and the space spatial, um, configuration. Uh-huh in the uh, scale side of things. Um, whereas, you know, when you're at home, you look at VR as a little bit more of a immersive motion interface. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, you don't want to design something where it's like, you know, okay, your room is 10 by 12, go to the left corner of your room and look down and pick up, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like that. Yeah. It, it's much more about um, something like Electronauts or something like, like a Beat Saber or, um, you know, something, something like Sprint Vector that has a locomotion system. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's really where a lot of the, the home offerings are going. Okay. No, that makes sense. I mean, you definitely, as, as games, I think are getting more and more complex. You see, yeah, you see, you see develop like you see games taking advantage of, of, of like simpler motions, but then really getting you to explore the in-game environment more and more through like better interactions yeah. and stuff like that. So that that totally makes sense. So, but okay, well, yeah, I don't I mean, want to. I think I oh. think uh, yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead. I'll go ahead. Say one more thing is that uh, that uh, v, you know VR as um, like. Do you remember when? Uh, do you remember when Red Steel came out? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. So that is what VR lets us do is the things we thought we could do with a Wii or some people yeah. thought could be done with Wii is really what you know the at-home VR systems are really allowing us uh, to kind of do today, which is a uh, you know kind of um, going like moving past where motion gaming was moving past where first person shooters were, mm-hmm. um, and really in, into something that's, that's very new and compelling at home. And then, uh, like I said, walking, walking around and having really a spatial experience mm-hmm. is I think where the, um, the arcade side of things is moving to. And I think arcades are, are they're, they're both a spatial experience and they're also, I, I do believe the stand up VR has a place in the arcades as well. Okay. But that, but that makes sense though. Like what you were saying. I mean, I think, I think that also speaks to why, uh, it's going to be huge when Santa Cruz and some of these other standalones are able to bring six degrees of freedom, like an actual real tracked motion controllers to those more, you know, easy to use, you know, systems, because that's the magic I think of, especially home VR is being able to have one-to-one movement with motion controllers in a virtual space. Exactly. I mean, I think the ultimate thing is going to be when we have, you know, a headset that's both VR and AR that's, you know, like the ultimate thing is it, it basically looks like glasses, but it does both VR and AR mm-hmm. wide field of view. It has maybe uh, two small things that track in your hands, but also tracks your fingers mm-hmm. um, and is kind of, uh, you know, uh, you can plug it in for infinite battery power or, you know, um, you can beam the ba- the battery to it. So, you mm-hmm. know, like, 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 so it, 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 it uh, lasts all day, even though it's wireless, like mm-hmm. eventually, you know, there, 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 there's a whole, um, all of the, uh, largest companies in the world, right? Whether it's, um, 
you know, Apple or Amazon or whoever, they're all, they, I think all of them have a, a vested interest in getting to that point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. Mm-hmm. And well, yeah, and, and the fact that these ideas exist kind of tells you, usually the, the reality of what people are able to come up with is usually, you know, far exceeds, I guess, what your wild ex- ex- expectations are when you're just thinking up the ideas. So hopefully, hopefully we'll be in a future where we're able to kind of see all of these things come to fruition. Yep. So, all right. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. And like I said, I'm, I'm actually, when I get off of this, I'm going to go and play some more Electronauts. So can't wait to do that. And super excited for you guys. And, um, as far as, uh, like I said, I don't want to take too much of your time. I know you're super busy with getting, uh, getting all these last minute touches out there. Um, for people interested in kind of, you know, keeping up with, with you guys, what's the best way, uh, to, to kind of track Electronauts and the other stuff that Servios is up to? Yeah, so um, check out Electronauts. Uh, check out um, go to electronautsvr.com, uh, and then uh, or also you can just go to servios.com and then uh, servios.com/electronauts. We're, we're also on Twitter. Uh, we're on Facebook. Uh, we're everywhere. We're on Instagram. So um, yeah, definitely definitely check us out. You can look at my personal Twitter is uh, Nathan Burba, uh, last name B U R B A, um, and I think I'm on Instagram, although I rarely use it. All right. Fair enough. So, all right. Well, thank you again for your time. And yeah, for everybody out there, uh, yeah, check out Electronauts. It's, it's a really amazing experience. So.